You know why you're greeting one another? I just want uh, to make mention that those of you that have made requests in previous times of our gathering today, and though they may not, you know, be spoken, you know, at the time of request, we want you to know that there is a vigil, uh, both with our, our prayer teams, you know, in, in myself, my wife, uh, on behalf of those, until we hear, you know what I mean, the desired results, uh, you know, we go ahead and, you know, hold them up to the throne of grace, and, you uh, uh, you know, I, I think you capture that I believe in prayer. And I believe in prayer not just because it's, you know, I like work, you know, but because prayers are made to be answered. And so uh, irrespective of, you know, the, the uh, journey in between, uh, we believe in a father that uh, hears us the first time. And while there are forces that might endeavor and do, I know, to stretch the time out, uh, victory is definitely ours. Amen? So, Father, Scott has already prayed, and I thank you for that prayer, and we receive it now in Jesus' Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, uh, There is a uh, tremendous presence. Let me start with this. In the history of Israel, there was uh, a setup that God put in place. In those that, you know... uh, might be familiar with it when I say and talk to you about the year of Jubilee, and I'm not going to talk about the year of Jubilee. We're going to give you a key this morning, you know, to, to go ahead and make sure that that year of Jubilee is, is being walked out in your life. But the year of Jubilee uh, was a, just making it short, was a time, a period that God set for the children of Israel that in which uh, they could get a fresh start. A fresh start. And it goes something like this. If you were, uh, had been in debt and had lost, you know, your land, your family. If you were a criminal and you had been sentenced and... Uh, your sentence was still enacted when the year of Jubilee, that sentence would be terminated. That debt, though it had not been paid by you, was terminated. It was no longer, you know, a record for you, nor a, 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 a role of, of which you had to go ahead and try to, take care of and so the Jesus said in Isaiah 61 and then and also in Luke chapter 4 he said there was a 
proclamation of liberty that the gospel brings to us. And he is referencing the year of Jubilee. And so, in a nutshell, the message that the Christ brought, the cross brings, the resurrection, you know, solidifies, is that your sentence because of, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, walking through all of those sentences that were carried over because of sin, those things that have happened in your life, they may have also contributed to it. There is a termination of your sentence. Recently, the president has went ahead and used his power that the office of president gives him to release convicted criminals and you know, those that uh, have been committed a crime, and so he's terminating their, their sentence. And uh, that's the power that he has. And so, whether in agreement or not with regard to that, it gives you a, uh, a, a picture that what Jesus Christ has come to do and that in him, you know, as far as the consequences that Adam's sin, the consequences of your sin, he first of all wants you to know that the sentence has been terminated. In other words, when they were in prisons, there would be a trumpeter that went ahead and blew a trumpet. And to those that were familiar with the sound of the trumpet, knew what was taking place. Those that were not familiar with the sound of the trumpet would have to ask or would need, you know, a a proclaimer. What does the trumpet mean? What is it? What's the sound of that trumpet for? For those that may be in distant dungeons, and one, they may not have an ear for it, or two, you know what I mean? It may not have yet come on the day that it was, that the trumpet was sounded, it may not have reached their abode. And so till they found out, and someone carried the message, the proclamation to them, they would still be in prison. Though the doors had been opened legally. It had been not yet executed. Whether it was the prison keeper at fault. Whether, you know what I mean, those in charge. The, the order would have to be, you know, enforced. The order has to be enforced. But the good news of it is, is that, is that 
the sentence is not just terminated. The year of Jubilee is also restoration. Now, what happened in the 50th year, the se- every seven years, there was a certain amount of, of new starts for certain people. But every 50th year, it was not only a termination of your sentence, it was a restoration of your losses. And the restoration of the losses would be that if you had gone into debt, and in those days, they, you would lose your land, you would lose your houses, you would lose your family. Not only were you put in prison or in a workforce, depending on the size of the debt, so was your wife, your kids, and successive generations. Imagine! But when the year of Jubilee was, came into play, your sentence was terminated, and now the process of restoration began to take place. The landlords who you had been indebted to now were legally bound to go ahead and restore your property. Your family, who now has enslaved to someone else, now is legally restored to you. But obviously, every indebtor doesn't want to obey the law. Every landlord doesn't want to go ahead and succumb to the decree. And The real, if I can use the phrase landlord, or the accuser, or the one that, you know, uh, set the stage for us, he's not going to give up without a fight. You're going to have to enforce. He'll let you go ahead and know you're saved. But what you lost... He's not going to just readily turn over to you. But the good news is that you got to begin to capture that your sentence has been terminated. And legally, your inheritance has been restored. It belongs to you. Your family belongs to you. The boundaries and the perimeters of the territory that God has given you, they belong to you. And while you may have messed up the proclamation of the good news is that God's terminating the sentence and wants to do the restoration. Oh, hallelujah. There are those things that, that 
in this restoration, you know what I mean? That we will not see the fulfillment of it until we cross those heavenly shores. But there's a whole lot more yet that's designed for the shores that we're living in today. Praise God. Now, one last thing before we get into the a key. When God was going to deliver Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, which had been for 40 years, and all the losses that had taken place and all the abuse that had that went on, he worked on the leadership and caused a submission to happen but it was not the leadership nor was it the government that gave the people of God favor favor came from the people not the government not Pharaoh not the leadership in spite of the leadership's position, God touched the heart of the population. Woo! Hallelujah. And when he's touched the heart of the population, the people of God, because of the reputation and because of the way they had lived in their suppression, Gave them favor. He gave them, they gave him favor. I think we can see some parallels. That leadership might be brought to their knees, but gracious favor is going to come from the midst of the people and not from favor 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 you can't say favor in the name of Jesus too much. Favor. When God sent Jesus Christ, he released favor. Who am I? I'm the advanced man of your true self. My roots are inward, but my fruit is outward. I'm your best friend or your worst enemy. I'm more honest and more consistent than your words. I am the outward look based on the past perceptions. I'm a thing that draws people to you 
or repels them. I'm never content until I'm expressed. I'm the librarian of your past, I'm the speaker of your present, and I am the prophet of your future. Who am I? Anybody want to take a guess? Karen, you can't. I'm attitude. I'm attitude. Today I want to, by the grace of God, instill in us the importance of attitude. Attitude is the mental state relative to what you believe, and it affects our entire lives. It's your habitual way of thinking. It's a perverse, a person's prevailing tendency to respond favorably or unfavorably to an object, person, group, or event. Thank God for Webster. It's an internal position of feeling with regard to something else. It's your horizontal disposition toward other things. Attitude forms the soil and the root of which actions grow. It has the power to keep me going or cripple my progress. It can fuel my fire or assault my hopes. It can be like a cobweb which clutters up the mind and causes us to fail in the purposes of God. Or it can be like an interstate highway is to the automobile, smoothing the way to our destination. Attitude. Faith is an attitude. A faith is a substance of things hoped for. I believe that the Bible says that, or points out and supports a yes attitude to life. A yes attitude. Why? Because God's ways, God's word is faithful. His message is absolute. And... His promises are certain, and they're guaranteed. Attitude is a choice, and everybody has a choice. And how you think about things, and how you respond to things. An attitude that we want to develop in our lives, you know, that's based upon God's word. An attitude that sees the solution and the power and the mercy of God in every event of life. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus. 
says, let this attitude be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. What kind of attitude did Jesus have? Well, he was a servant. He had an attitude of sacrifice. He was a man of humility. He was totally sold to obedience. He orchestrated his life in patience. And he operated in unselfishness. In trials, he was patient. In suffering, he was hopeful. In blessing, he was humble. And to his haters, he did not retaliate. Let this attitude be in you. Jesus prayed about everything and worried about nothing. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He never became defensive. He never got discouraged. He never got depressed. Why? Because his heart was to please the Father, you know, rather than to achieve his own agenda. Just please the Father rather than achieve his own agenda. And come on now, how much does our attitude change that is because it's directly related to our agenda? nothing wrong with having an agenda but it's what is what is first so next verse is Andy do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become Notice this takes us on a journey. This has a great deal to do with our reputation. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among who you shine as lights in the world. God says there are ways to up our testimony. He says there's ways to go ahead and make the 20-watt light bulb into a 120-watt light bulb. Now, all of this that I'm going to talk about, it just takes, it does not come. You know, it comes by choices, attitudes, based upon promise and who God is. And relationship with, with him. And so, this is not legalism I'm talking about this morning this is liberty right attitude says I can help you deal with challenges you must accept enemies you need to defeat 
and dangers you must avoid and opportunities that you need to take. I can help you move forward. I am extremely contagious. Whether you have a good one or you have a bad one. I already mentioned it. It can be like the cobwebs that clutters up the mind. Or it can be like the interstate is to the automobile. Attitude. Attitude. There are some wrong attitudes. Attitudes that we need to discard. By the way, Glenda wasn't here, Steve, when I was talking about the year of Jubilee. But God says that the year of Jubilee and this restoration has begun in your life. All of those losses, you know, now he's going to start to restore for you. You're not just a prisoner set free. You know, you are a prisoner that's, and I use that in that respect, being restored. Just like Paul said, he said, I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. I don't have any trouble being a sinner. I'm just going to go ahead and Embrace the grace. The Hallelujah. Absolutely. Think about it, church. We're sinners. Absolutely. But we've got grace in our corner, chucked up in our account. And that grace says that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Some of these you will have will have heard before, but repetition is a good teacher. You've heard the grasshopper attitude, and you we get that from the children of Israel in Numbers chapter thirteen. They had a tremendous inferiority complex. They're ready to you know, receive their inheritance. And rather than be energized and, you know, uh, uh, just empowered by what was, could be theirs, they were defeated by what they saw. The challenge defeated them before they even got started. We've got to come to the point where we believe that the fulfillment of the promise is worth the effort. And so you know what they said. They said we're like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. There's something to be said about what we look like in the sight of 
the squatters. Don't let that intimidate you. But it will really affect your life of what, how you see yourself. How you see yourself in Christ Jesus. More than conquerors, loved, redeemed, and commissioned. Go into all the world. What part of your world needs the gospel preached to it? What part of your world needs the message of the year of Jubilee preached to it? So many times we're in the foreign fields with the gospel of liberty when we need to come to our home fields and start preaching to our own family. Our own world. Oh, hallelujah. Yep. Paul Tucker tells us a time when he was in his uh, in fact, is quite late. His ministry, uh, and I don't think he because he told it publicly, so I'm not violating anything. When his son, one of his sons, served the Lord, was God, and, and he was he was he was grooming him. You know what I mean for the ministry, and he hit a period of time in his life when he, you know, whatever. I don't know what happened in the young man's life. But anyway, he turned a corner, and he took his gifts and his talents and his ability and joined people of another country, like the prodigal did. And he began to play in the nightclubs and use his, steer away from his, his calling. And uh, shorten the story. When Paul heard about it, he said he, he knew that wasn't part of the, the territory that God had given him. So he arrives on his son's, not doorstep, place of playing. <laughs> Nightclub. I meet him head on. He said, son, I did not raise you for this. Now, I'm not, when I say this, I'm not saying everybody should do it this way, okay? Never just go ahead and pick up a pattern and apply it exactly. Never. No. You have to go ahead and modulate it, you know, with your circumstance and your, 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 your setting. But this is what he did in a work, so. <laughs> so they didn't raise you for this. 
Those gifts and stuff are not meant to be spent on this. I want you to know something. He said, either you're going to turn your life back to what God has called you. Otherwise, I'm asking God to take your life. Because you are not going to serve the devil. You are going to either serve God or you're going home. Don't follow it perfectly. (laughs) You have to know it's the word of the Lord. You have to know who your, your kids that you're dealing with. You have to know that you have the relationship by which to be able to speak into their life in such a fashion. There's a lot of things that got to go on. But a territory that belonged to him, and he knew it, he wasn't going to let what the people thought of him. And he wasn't about to be a grasshopper in his own eyes. How many know that right is right and wrong is wrong? So an attitude you don't want to have is one that has an inferiority complex. Find find yourself in Jesus Christ. Negative against God. An attitude that gets negative against God. Over time, Gideon developed a negative attitude about God. Seven years of dominion had been operating in the children of Israel's life and in Gideon's life. And one of the strategies of the Midianites was to, was to impoverish the people. We can't let you get ahead. We can't let you get too strong in a given area because when you get strong in a given area, you know what I mean, then you become, you know, a, a greater dominant force. And so he went ahead, the, the Midianites would, would, would keep them lean, poor, thin, and, and weak. Remember, he was threshing, hiding. You know, why did they have to hide? Because, see, they would let you go through the process. They'd let you do the work, and they'd come and steal it after your work had been done. Went through the work. You did the planting. You did the harvesting. You were cleaning it up so it was a usable thing, and all of a sudden, the enemy descends from the mountain because he's been watching what's been going on. Because he doesn't want you to get too fat. Negative happenings in life can have an effect, cloud out the real picture of God. 
clouded out for Gideon what God could and what God wanted to do. God's history had been so contaminated by the present that it no longer was influencing Gideon. He remembered it. My father told me, my mother told me, the patriarchs told me. Where are the miracles? I see. He knew about them. Somebody told him about the miracles. Story of the great emancipation of children of Israel from the, from the land of the Egyptians was, you know, vivid in his mind. But it was purely history for somebody rather than something that you could make history with in your life. These were all written for our admonition and for our learning. Oh, thank God. Why did he record them? It's interesting that God shows you both sides of the coin, not just one side of the coin. He shows you the side of the coin, you know what I mean? Of those that you know, are able to go ahead and put the pieces together, and it works for them. Then he goes ahead and also shows you the other side of, coin, of the coin, you know what I mean? Of those that didn't put the pieces together. The good news in here, notice what it says, a, a negative attitude about God. Now when the Lord has, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of men. We're just on our own. But the good news is Gideon got an attitude left, didn't he? God wants to lift our attitudes and our perspective. Get rid of the negative attitude against God. So let me tell you, you need to remember the stories of the past so that they can stimulate the present. Whenever my mom and my dad, and there would have been a lot of them in their life because number one, I was pretty young and, you know, didn't get to pick up on all of it and to get to, you know. But one thing I noticed was that when times were down, their speech was up. <laughs> Somebody give the Lord a praise. <laughs> Woo! When the times were down, their speech was up. I remember, I remember, I remember, and after every one of those remembrances would come the story. This is what 
God has done. In other words, they learn to attribute every good and perfect gift to God. Whether it would make the headlines in your life or not, it made the headlines in their life. Oh, thank you, Jesus. A greeter, tight-fisted attitude. Instead of greed, we need to try contentment. Instead of greed, we need to try contentment. There's something about the soil of contentment that will go ahead and produce good results, over-the-top results. Because it attracts. A poverty mentality will hinder you from doing something good in the immediate because you're over-concerned about the future. It's not taking away good planning. The wise man, you know, sees the future and prepares for it. It's, there's, you know, you're supposed to. Remember the story of the woman with the alabaster box? And she came in, and Simon the leper's house, and she began to anoint Jesus. It was a very costly fragrance. Probably wasn't picked up at, you know, Walmart. Not that they don't have good stuff and expensive stuff, but... says that they were indignant and thought it was a waste. So this could have been sold and given to the poor. You know that greed breaks the bank? While generosity secures the future? In this particular setting, and this is why we, we have to be, we have to, you know, have the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Loving service that will have no other opportunity takes preference over perpetual duties. Jesus said, perpetual duties will always be with you. The poor you always have with you. But there are moments when God wants you to break out the alabaster box. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why can you do it? 
because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Jesus teaches that our identity is not found in what we possess, but is found in who possesses us. Who possesses us. We got to hurry up here. Attitude. We got to get some good attitudes here yet. Well, I'm going to do one more bad one. You know, the blue mood attitude. Something shattered Elijah's faith and focus in 1 Corinthians chapter 19. Something shattered his faith and his focus. He became dominated by his own hurt. Jenny, when we're hurt, it can have a connection to pride. Anger and resentment blinded him. He forgot how that he was just an instrument and God was the power. He said, I am the only one that's left. I'm the only one that can do this. So he got a blue mood. Sat down under the broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Take my life, Lord. Take my life. You don't need it. It's not healthy. What has happened? Here's the man that stood on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal took them head on. Run them off. Put them to shame. And then... One word from Jezebel. You know, what an unlikely source. But just at the right time, which is really the wrong time, but your adversary goeth around a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. If you're familiar with the, with the lion or any of the predators, they plan. They plan. You're too happy right now. You feel too victorious right now. You're on top right now. 
I'm not touching you. I'm not going to waste my ammunition, my attack. I'm going to wait till you're down. Till you get blue. Got to keep going. All right. Some reasons why attitude is important. Because it makes such a big difference in your life. And Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is again. Your attitude. Your attitude. I have told you this before, at least alluded to it, but my brother sits here, and obviously I have known him all his life, and he's known me all my life. And I can honestly tell you that of all the people in my life, there is no one that has had such a positive attitude, and that's not flattery. You will not find him speaking down. Now, he may be down inside, but you're not going to know it by his words. Because, I don't know, he found out the way to get your inside up is start to go ahead and use the outside. (laughs) It determines your approach in life. With a bad attitude, the whole world stinks. That's right. Nothing is right. It determines your relationship with people. The golden rule is, is do unto others as you would have them do unto You ever skirt people that got used to they got always a you know a negative attitude? And you just don't now they need somebody to come into their life with a good attitude, don't get me wrong. But it it really has to do with relationship. It huh? builds relationship, determines relationship. Oftentimes, it's the only difference between success and failure. Good attitude gives us an uncommon perspective, positive perspective. I ask my musicians to come. The children of Israel saw Goliath, and they said, he's too big to kill. David said, he's too big to miss. Yeah. You can't miss him. God is so great that he can't lose.
With an attitude of faith, you will move beyond maintenance to mission. If you're on the playing field, you won't notice your hurts. It's only till you get off the playing field that you begin to notice your hurts. So what's the secret? Stay on the playing field. <laughs> Absolutely. Did we put up the verse, do all things without complaining? Did we put that up? I think we did, didn't we? Yeah. Do all things without complaining. Now, there's a tall order, church. There's a tall order. And, 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 and I'm not going to stand before you and say that I, you know, that I haven't, I've hit that target and missed the, the right target. But in that verse, God says, you know what I mean? We got a light to shine and we got a testimony to, you know what I mean, to convey. That when they ask you, what is this attitude of hope you've got? He says you're supposed to be able to tell them what it's about. The hope that is within you. It's more than just a hope that I'm going to heaven. I need the fact that of hope I'm going to heaven when I'm getting ready to die. But when I still got days to live, I need an attitude of hope for why I should live. And learn to adjust for the seasons. Because we have spiritual seasons and we have natural seasons. It's okay to slow down in body. But you don't have to slow down in spirit. Let me read you what General Douglas MacArthur wrote. And I wrote in my notes, don't let us as a church get old in attitude. Here's what he said. He said, in the central place of every heart, there is a recording chamber. And as long as it receives messages of beauty and hope and cheer and courage, you are young. But when the lines are all down and your heart is covered with the snows of pessimism and the ice of cynicism, then and only then do you grow old. One of the great generals. The woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years of suffering. How many know that twelve years of suffering can spoil your attitude? Can spoil your attitude. But one day she heard about Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, faith came in. And it shoved hopelessness out of her heart. And she began to expect again. 
She said she, she realized that there was a contact point that she needed in her life, and she started to work toward it. There's a contact point, church. There's a contact point. I don't know what it is for you. We learn to discover it in our own lives what that contact point is. But she, in hers was, she said, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment. That contact point, you know what I mean? That not only releases her, but releases or draws from him. If I can touch it, of the hundreds of people, or maybe thousands of people that were touching his garment that day, only one of them was able to draw virtue out of the hem of his garment. Yes, a touch point. Can I give us a couple of things that I think we need for a church? And I got to close, and I know it's just late, but I didn't bring a watch today. <laughs> Thank God for had me forget it. And that clock is off, by the way. <laughs> by at least 30 seconds. I believe that as a church and our future as a church, and that's just not this church, we need a positive attitude about God. The scripture says that you should love the Lord your God. That's a positive attitude about, about God. I believe it'll make a difference in how interested we are in God and how joyfully we do his commands. It'll shape us as we seek spiritual growth and it'll determine, determine the moral climate in which we choose to live. I believe that for church to move forward in an ever-darkening society, in an ever-anti-God, anti-Christ generation, that we need to have a positive attitude about church assembly. Anybody got an amen on that one? Amen. I, I'm, not, I'm not after, you know, per se, you know... It's a culture, but when we come to church, you know, this has got to be, you know, a major highlight. I want to be there. Positive attitude. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. You know, that's, that's local, you know. And then not only you got to get together, but you got to love the people in the church. By this we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Woo! You got a lot of faults, but I love you anyway. <laughs> you got problems, but I love you. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, we get it when it comes to laying down our life to go to the unsaved. But do we get it 
that we're supposed to lay it on our life for the saved. So I'm going to give the Lord a praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you're doing a good job. Don't get me wrong. You're doing a good job. But, but here's the fact of the matter is that this coldness that can break relationships, it has done such an effective job throughout our society. It's not just limited to society. It is moving in to the very cores of the body of Christ and the family of God. And so we got to have a good attitude when it comes to each other. A good attitude. Support the work. He who supplies seed to the sower. You know where you got it? You know where I got it? Who gave it to you? God did. He's the one that supplies the seed. The seed, you know, whether it's your ability, you know, to, 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 to facilitate the occupation that you're in. You might be an Einstein, but guess where you got your Einsteinness? <laughs> You didn't get it from me, did you? <laughs> That's probably not even a word, is it? Is it? Okay, hallelujah. You, know, you see what I'm saying? You know, it, it doesn't. The ability to get is because he went ahead and gave. He went ahead and gave. You know, you give me a smartphone. My four-year-old grandson is smarter on that phone than I am. <laughs> Level involvement in the church. The more we work together, the stronger our work. For a threefold cord is not easily broken. So he's saying, you know, hey, let's work together. It's not work, let's work together. You know what I mean? You know, there's the, the facets and the dimension of the kingdom is, 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 you know, so many that we don't want to, you know what I mean, slight or feel somehow that, that our territory is being, you know, stepped upon. It isn't. It's being fortified. Now, yeah, there's those that like to step on you. I don't know. But whatever. You just can't lose a good attitude. A good attitude. You know, this is not just positive thinking. You know, that attitude will go ahead and we'll start to recover the things that Christ has set us free for. The Jubilee that's designed for our lives designed for our families and I mean we begin to put force and power how powerful is attitude attitude is so powerful that those that don't have God are successful with it or because of it 
in those that have God, my, an unbeatable combination because, you know, God is on child. God bless. Go with God. He's going with you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name.